0: You're muted. Can you hear me?
1: You can hear me. I can hear you. I can hear you. We hear Steve.
2: Hang on. Yeah,
0: there I am. Hey! Hey! I know that guy. He's playing yeah. the banjo now. Things have gotten really tough. <laughs>
2: I love the banjo. I love my banjo. The man himself. Yeah. Steve, how are you? How are you, Troy? Good, Steve. How are you, mate? You're looking great. Thank you. You too. Where's Scott? Uh, we, uh, you we know,
0: he's, he's actually in Las Vegas playing uh, whatever,
2: you know. He's playing whatever or the guitar?
0: Yeah, well, well, you know, Scott in Las Vegas. I'm just going to leave it there, you know. <laughs> You've got dachshunds, he's got Las Vegas, you know. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I thought,
2: well, good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Congratulations on your, all your success with the guitar and the uh, the article and the record and everything, Bruce.
0: Oh, oh, me? Thank you. Yeah, and of course, you know Troy and his trailers. He's got like you know all the awards now. He's doing like every trailer for every movie.
1: <laughs> so,
0: I'm yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't hired somebody to do this.
2: Oh, <laughs> trailer for every which movie?
0: Tell him about it, Troy.
1: Oh, oh, we're just, uh, we've been doing, we did the Batman trailers and we did a bunch, uh, we're doing the new Jurassic Park trailer and yeah, we're doing some nice big ones, which so it's, it's been fun.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. That sounds like great money too.
1: It's, uh, it does all right. It does all right. Look,
2: look at the fancy
0: clothes he's wearing. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, right. I look, I'm at my best steve travato uh, man it's always good to see you i'm so i've I've been such a fan of yours for wow well, for over 20 years now hilarious. and uh at, what when you're on the show i seriously it was one of the funniest episodes i think we've ever had and everyone raved about your episode because it was just hilarious really? yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah
1: they they loved it mate they thought it was just so much fun you and scott going back and forth and um I gotta work out what episode that was now, what number it was, but it was you were so much fun and. Uh, Thank you. I I
2: thought I, I I thought Bruce was sleeping over there.
0: No, no, no. I just didn't want to get in the way, of you guys. But the fact is, is I want you to know that you're. We are now embarking on our sixth year of Guitar Wank.
2: No kidding.
0: Yeah, you know.
2: That's fantastic. They,
0: they thought it wouldn't last, right? You know No one's ever hung out with Scott Henderson that long except you, you know. <laughs> you know you know what
1: episode We're up to over 250 episodes, Steve, but you were on just so our listeners can go back and listen to that episode because it was so great having you on the show and we should do that again, which we're doing now. But um, episode 202 and 203. Guitar Wake episode. that's the ones you were on. It was so epic, we had to
0: make it into two episodes.
2: I guess it was. I I don't remember being there that long, but I guess did Scott like so often on didn't Scott like go off into a lot of private? Yeah, yeah.
0: But I'm really glad it didn't seem <laughs> that long to you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so it,
1: throughout this whole episode, feel free to dog on Scott as much as you want.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's not here <laughs> to defend himself. You know.
2: No, 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 no i No, Scott's he's, he's, he's the best.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> but but we don't need to let him know that. No. <laughs> Steve, how
1: are you, mate? What's what's happening in Steve Travado's world?
2: I'm doing great. I'm 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 uh I just started. We just started the new the new semester up at the school up at USC. Right. And uh, our department had loaded me down with students, so which I'm sure Bruce, all of us got loaded down with. So that takes up a lot of time. So in my spare time, which is other students. Uh, And record dates. um, I've been doing a lot of record dates playing for people on my computer. I got a whole Pro Tool set up in front of me here and I record for people and send them the tracks. And I'm recording a new record, but I don't, I've never really decided to talk about new records much because I find out whatever I talk about loses its energy and I wind up talking about it more than I wind up doing it.
0: So, (laughs) well, sort of like when we get older, like sex, right? (laughs) But I mean, (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, about <laughs> it being all right. Well, when you finish it, uh, you are ready to talk about it? Please yeah. let us know because we'd love to hear about it.
2: I will. I'm having fun, fun. having fun with it. It's all songs I love.
1: Awesome. I, I love that, um, mate. As as you know, we're doing this. I guess tribute special. Bruce, you you should talk about it because you're going to put it into better words than I can. Okay.
0: Well, basically, here as we embark on our sixth year, an amazing a. a uh, momentous thing happened, which we lost a real important person in the world of electric guitar, you know, Howard Alexander Dumble. And um, we've decided to kind of dedicate this part of this this year to um, having people who knew him tell their stories about him. You know, we knew him as an eccentric guy, a genius, I mean, let's face it. He's been described as everything from Einstein to the soup Nazi, right? You know, (laughs) we've heard heard all that. And basically, a lot of us who knew him, like yourself for sure and me, uh, we didn't share a lot of stuff out of respect to his secrecy and his, you know, I mean, you know, the things that he asked for in life and out of respect for him. Absolutely. So now that he's gone... I think we owe it to the world to get a a feeling for who this man really was and not let the mythology of that soup Nazi shit kind of dominate the conversation. To really just tell the truth. Of course this guy, I mean, to say that he changed the world is not an overstatement. I mean, there was no such thing as a boutique amp before... Dumble did his thing, and now the the, the the just the economy and the ecosystem of all these small amp companies who are really great making sounds that are enable us, enabling us to really be more creative and bring better music to the world, it really, the genesis is with that man and his passion for that. You know, I mean, I, I would assume you agree with that, and so you, of course, he even told me when I was getting my amp from him, you know, uh, I asked him who the most exacting people were. I didn't say pain in the ass, although yeah, yeah, yeah. you could you could read that into it. Uh, <laughs> he said you and Carlos were the most discerning clients he ever had. So, you know, and I know you knew him a lot earlier than I did, of course, way earlier, you know, as a friend yeah, yeah. and as, as someone who made you an amp. And so, Of course, we want to hear about what's happening in your world, and we, and and you know, don't don't shy away from talking about yourself. But we want to share your recollections and get kind of your idea of this human being, so that we can write the world, and so they don't live in that bullshit world of you know, the soundbite of him.
2: You know what I mean? And soundbites there are dozens and dozens of them. Yeah, there's even quite a few pictures on the internet that that poses D- Dumble but it's not him oh wow a lot yeah. of people have their yeah there a lot of pictures i was watching like watching facebook the other day and i saw at least three pictures of somebody but it wasn't Dumble right <laughs> so that that was uh well i suppose i did know him for a long time i got to know Dumble in uh, 1981 and uh, I suppose I should talk about how I met him because that's that's probably a good story. Um, I got to California to go to the Musicians Institute, and the first week I was there, I had I got a gig playing with somebody named Harmonica Fats, <laughs> and uh, in, a, in a little gym, a little bar, and I did. But I didn't have an amp, so I went to one of the teachers up there, and I asked him. I said. His name was Rick Boston, great guitar player. I asked Rick, "Rick, do you know where I can get an amp for a gig that I got this coming this coming week?" And he goes, "Well, I got one you can buy." I go, "Well, really?" And I said, "Well, what is it?" And he goes, "Well, it's a dumbbell." And I said, well, "What's it? What's a, well, it's, it's a what? <laughs> it? It's a what?" "It's a dumbbell." And I said, "Well, I never heard of that." And then I said, "Well, does it sound like a Fender?" That's all I cared about. And he says, yeah, it does. It sounds, it sounds close enough to a vendor, You're going to like it. And if you like it enough, I'll sell it to you. So I said, well, can I come over and get it then? And the problem is that Dumble, and not too many people knew this, but Dumble had a sort of unwritten law where if you wanted to, he made an amp personally for every person that he, one for it was designed to their specifications and tuned to what they want very specifically. I was just uh talking to somebody the other day, uh, it doesn't really matter, but anyway, they were saying that they just sat there, well, dumbled tuned to Zamp. He just sat there and played for hours, well, dumbled tuned to amp to feedback and to, to, to do this and to do that, and to you know, the harmonics that he wanted and the, and the uh, EQ that he wanted. And uh, he did that with me, but what happened is. He had this unwritten rule law that he would say, well, if you ever decide to sell your amp that I made you, don't sell it to the person, bring it back to me and I will decide who the next owner should be. (laughs) And he'll sell it to the person and give Rick Boston the money. And not a lot of people knew that little rule that uh, he had in place. So we had to, I had to get in the car with Rick Boston and we drove over to this house which was in a little place called Highland Park, California. And it was in what I can best describe as, a, as an old California Mission-style house with three floors. And on the bottom floor was Severin Brown. His family owned it from Jackson Brown's family. The Jackson Brown family owned it. Severin Brown lived there. Dumble lived on the top, the top two floors. He lived on the next, the second floor up, and then there was a strange-looking spiral staircase minaret that he would have to go up, and his bedroom was up on the top of this minaret, which is not very many people know that either. So, and um, I was I was um, over at his house, and so he he really really before I could buy the amp, he wanted to hear me play. So I sat down and played for. Mr. Dumble, I felt like a little drummer boy, and I was playing for Dumble for two or three hours, and before he decided that I was worthy of one of his amplifiers, and then he said, "Okay, well, Rick, give it to me, and I'll sell it to Steve." So I got it from Dumble, who got it from the, the who who got it from the guy that he made it for, and bought it from him, and um, it was a ridiculously low price then. I mean, I, I just put it together with a old pair of fender speakers and use it on my gigs for the next two two months so, so, this, I, this, this, so uh, get me, this is the first
0: week you're in california first week i'm in california yeah <laughs> great great do, do you remember I, what you paid for it i no, do no, no, no. i
2: i do but we don't do we want to talk about that
0: no yeah, yeah you can you, you uh, can now if you want but you don't have to
2: no i i, I didn't pay a lot for it i, I paid well, let's, just, let's just say under a thousand Wow. And, um, <laughs> it's a good event. So, oh, the other thing about Dumble's house was... What's that, Bruce? It was 1981. A yeah.
0: years, a lot yeah. more back then. You
1: know. Right. It's like Apple stock.
2: <laughs> so the other thing about Dumble's, Dumble's residence was that he had downstairs in the basement, he had a jail with a real dungeon in it. Because this thing was made back in the early and he had a church in there with a real <laughs> pipe organ in it this is downstairs in his basement so I mean this is this is some stuff that he took me down there and showed me and I thought well this is really bizarre I didn't know him I didn't know him very well we just hit it off his, his, his pals you know and so I, I bought the ant from him and um, then we just carried on from there we carried on as best buddies for at least 15 years
1: wow what what amp was it steve was it was it a an overdrive special or
2: something or was it it was an overdrive special it was just the head right yeah and then later on he said what kind of speakers do you want and i said i don't know <laughs> here they amp maker so he said well the most recent ones i made were for a guitar player named robin ford and i made another set for larry carlton and i said well what's the difference and he says, well, in Robin Ford's, I put these EV-12Ls in, 12 12s speakers. And I said, what did you put in Larry Carlton's amp? And he goes, I put 12S speakers in his. And I went, what's the speakers? And he went, LS, long and short. That's <laughs> that's, that's the most I got out of them. So I said, well, I, I, like, I always like Robin Ford's sound, so put the EV-12Ls in there. And from then on, it took him about seven months to build me two cabinets. And then he sold me the two cabinets, which were, were more than the amplifier itself. <laughs> and then I ran into um, another a long, long-time buddy, Robin Ford, who sold me something called a Dumbelator, which is, for the people that don't know, <clears throat> you really needed a Dumbelator with a Dumble amplifier to play to use um, time, time delay uh, effects, reverb and, and delay. And, Course, because because it, it was built in such a way that it would it would pin the pin the uh, output on delays and reverbs, so you'd have to it was like an effects loop. So that that I bought one of those from Robin Ford, so I was all set up with my dead Dumble getup, and uh, that's how the whole thing started. Did you did you love it? No, you know what? I never did really love it. I never really did love it because. I did love it at the end, but when Dumble first built it for me, I was playing a lot of country guitar and mm-hmm. and it's really not made for that. It could be used for that, but it's really got a big mid-range spike in it that has a lot of punch for it. So it can cut through a band that's powerful, I can cut through anybody's band, over the drummer everybody, um, with a big mid-range spike, which I didn't like. I wanted more of the, the Fender sound around the, the scoop, upper, upper bass yeah. And, yeah. and the high treble the um so he 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 put in a mid-range knob for me a push pull knob which i have the i had the only Dumble amplifier in the world that ever had a push pull knob put on it he hated that he did that for for me as a special thing that's probably why i got the reputation of one of those challenging (laughs) challenging customers and um i used it for a while and then i just put it in the closet and i still stayed friends with Dumble because now we were now I was getting him to come out of the house, and we were going to clubs together, which was a whole different thing. Tell us to- about
0: that, please.
2: <laughs> oh. Let me see. I'll go right down. Well, first of all, Dumbo would—he never really wanted to leave the house. He would only leave the house at night. Because, you know, being a, being a large guy, he didn't really want to be seen in grocery stores and post offices during the daylight hours where there was a lot of people. So he would go at night when the crowds were less, which I don't blame him. So we would do a skulking around at night. And um, I guess one of the things that was most interesting, I knew he was my friend. When I was I was playing a gig up in, um, I forget where, for the, I don't know how, how, how far you were, your uh, reaches go, but this is in Burbank, California. Right. I was playing in Burbank, and um, I had it, my Dumble Overdrive special head, and 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 the speakers. I had the amp there, and the amp stopped working. It just blew up. So I called up Dumble from the from the club I was playing in, and next thing I know, about twenty minutes later, I hear this rumbling outside, and it turns out Dumble. Took another Dumble overdrive head. He put it on his lap and got on his Harley Davidson motorcycle chopper and drove it to the club and let me use it for the rest of the night. Wow! It was it was a it was a, it was a once in a lifetime story. I mean, he just showed up at the club. There was there's nobody in the place. Just a handful of people, and here comes this big guy with, a, with a, carrying an amp, <laughs> and he was riding his chopper with a thing on his lap. It was, it was just an incredible. It was an incredible visual. You had to see it. Because he was a big man.
0: He was a, yeah.
2: big man, he was a big man. Wow! Very, very, very soft-spoken at times. Very bright. As a matter of fact, he spoke. What was a fluid German? I think, right?
0: Right, German. Yeah,
2: yeah. And he loved the ladies. He was uh, always um, charming the ladies. He was a he was a great lady charmer. Um, <laughs> just and women loved him because he was so sweet. He's just a sweet guy. Sweet. You know, he just knew the right things to say. So that was one of the
0: stories. That is so contrary to his, you know, most people think of him as kind of an asshole, you know, like the soup Nazi, you know, I mean, no am for you, you know. I mean, everybody's got stories about him being contrary or angry, you know, about things. And not that he couldn't be that way, but in my experience, and it sounds like in yours, he was an incredibly sweet,
2: generous person, you know. To a fault. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that he went out, if he liked you, and there's no reason why he wouldn't like like you but or anybody, but unless you rubbed him the wrong way, which that could happen easily. But if he liked you, he would go out of his way to, to please you and to do whatever you needed him to do to make you, you, you help you get your best sound that you could possibly want. And he would, I would be at his house time after time after time after time, probably 10, 20 times, getting my amp worked on and tweaked. And, and, and you know, he put the hot rubber monkey mod and modification in it, which, you know, I, I just noticed on the on that internet the other day, I was looking through guitar pedals and I noticed there's one called the HRM now which is the Hot Rubber Monkey which is originally a Dumble modification that he did for an amp which made right
0: me- right and stolen of course like again think about the economy that's come up in the world
2: right
0: from Dumble you know from what he did with the with the you know the ultraphonics mob, the Rock Phonics, the Tweedledee, the Purple Haze, plus the Overdrive Special and the Steel Street Singer. And there are, like, people who are making pedals and amplifiers and all sorts of shit just to copy that, right? Right. Whether it's a true copy or just a sonic picture, you know, that's that's like a whole, like, industry. And no wonder he was a little bit perturbed and paranoid about his intellectual property. You know, he knew that was going on.
2: Of course he did, of course he did. You know he he had an opportunity. I remember way back when when Fender came to him and said we would like you to make Dumble amplifiers, and he he turned the deal down because he said he wouldn't have he wouldn't have quality control over each and individual each individual amplifier. Right, and I can't blame him for that either. No, because because Fender. Otherwise, up to this day, there would have been a Fender Dumble amplifier out there. And and actually, you know, full disclosure,
0: we had Richard McDonald, who was the VP at present, you know, at Fender at the time. He just he was just on the show and he exactly said the same thing. He knew as soon as he talked to Dumble and they were exploring this possibility that it was never going to work because of that very reason. You know,
2: right. He was like that. He really took a lot of pride in his work. Yeah, a lot of pride in his work. You yeah. know, I'll tell you so, so, so there you are hanging out in clubs,
0: Was Scott there too.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was there was one. I was the I was the one guy. Dumble never went out. He never went out. And played, he played guitar. He played guitar yeah. really well. Mostly, as long as you stayed in the E, he was great. Yeah,
0: right. He was an e-jammer, I used to call him.
2: Yeah, an e-jammer. And he was, he, was, <laughs> he was great. So I got him a guitar one night, I took one of my guitars over there, and I said, let's go out and sit in with a band. So um, I took him up to a place. Now, this is in, I forget where, Studio City, California. I took him to a place called the Corbin Bowl, which was a bowling alley jam session. Uh uh-huh. And so... He came walking in, he came walking out to my car and he's got on a leather fringe jacket and a 10 gallon hat and he gets in my car and we put the guitar in the back and then we go to the Corbin Bowl and he walks in there and of course everybody stops. They don't know who it is, but they know it's somebody. And so he gets up there to play and he finally gets gets the nerve up and gets up there to play and he hits the first note and the amp blows up. (laughs) <laughs> so, so we left there, we left there and we went down to another club where I knew Scott was playing. And I said, well, let's go see Scott. He didn't know Scott then. I introduced him to Scott and um, he didn't know Scott. So we went into this other club that he was playing and then we both played. He, Scott played one week. I played the next week. We alternated weeks, weeks at the place. It was Scott's week. So he was in there and I think the place was called the Chimney Sweep. Oh, okay. Another another little place in North Hollywood. So I took Dumble down there. And we walked in there and the band's playing away. Scott's Scott's ripping it up in there. And the band's playing away. And here comes this guy in a brown fringe jacket looking like Neil Young and a 10 gallon hat and a guitar. And Scott just about fell out of his shoes. He knew who he was, you know. And he he knew that, you know. He was un, he was he was not unfamiliar to Scott, and and Dumble never heard of me. Go, who who the heck is that? And I go, that's Scott Henderson. He goes, well, from now on, his nickname is Hurricane Henderson. <laughs> that was that was his nickname for Scott is Hurricane Henderson. Hurricane Henderson. <laughs> that's what it sounds like when he plays. Yeah. So, so Dumble got up that night and he plugged into Scott's amp and he played. And it was just, I wish I had a movie camera there. I wish I had a camera, a phone. But there's no phones in those days. This is an 85, yeah. 90. No phones to take any pictures of anything. So I just have this memory of Dumble plugging into the Scott's Matchless Amp and playing some blues in E at this club. And he, he loved it. He stayed up there for an hour. Wow. And, then um, of course, we went out to eat because we like to eat. That was always fun. One of the most unique things that a lot of people don't know about Dumble either is, you know, everybody thinks his his components were very high fidelity. But I went shopping with him on many occasions. I took him shopping to electronic stores and we went to a couple of fancy electronic stores so he could get capacitors or resistors or whatever the heck he was buying in there. But you know where he liked to buy the most parts for the Dumble amplifier? Radio Shack. <laughs> we went to Radio Shack more often than any other store and he bought parts in there. Little switches, wow. little micro switches. And uh, I guess it's okay to say that now.
0: No, it's true. I mean if it's true, it's true. I mean the magic, magic. is magic, you know. Right. And
2: and so the magic the magic was him. You know the, yeah. the magic was him. I mean he had what an ear for sound, what an ear for tone. I'm sure your amp sounds completely different than mine did. Yeah. And um so I took um. I took my amp up to a' we'll say we'll say famous blues guitar player's house, um in Los Angeles. And uh, he had every Dumble clone up there, but he wanted to try mine because I had a real thing. And so he had the Blue Tone, and while well, I don't want to mention names, but he had a, a lot of the other Dumble clone amplifiers. And he says, I want to see if this Dumble's really as good as they say it is. And so he plugged it in, and he hooked the whole thing up to his dumbbellator and and he played through it for a while. And he, he said, "This thing blows everything away. Everything that I have here, um, he couldn't even he couldn't even believe it." Right. So um, I wound up selling the amp. I wound up finally wound up, wound, up, wound up selling the amp to him because he loved it so much. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean that's pretty much. I could make up some more stories and tell you some more stories if I remember some. But I mean, that's pretty much the, the heart and soul Steve, of Dumble.
1: So, Steve. So back then, when you you that was was that the like how long was he doing all that before you met him? I mean, obviously for a long time. But was he starting to really become known then? I guess.
2: Well, yeah, he was. He uh, he started, I think, from what I've from what he told me in the '70s in Santa Cruz. Okay. And he was working up there as an amp repair man and he started designing amplifiers and I, I forget what he designed that he told me too he think I think he told me that he designed the Dumble overdrive special after he heard somebody like Jeff Beck or somebody play through a 1959 fender basement
1: I think it was I think it might have been Robin
2: right it was Robin Ford yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Robin's very proud of that, that uh, that's how he met Dumble. He was playing one night and Dumble come up and said something. Oh, I can I can make that sound way better or something. And
2: that's what it was, Robin. It was definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: remember that story. And we've got a guy coming on the show who actually knew him back then, you know, in Santa Cruz. And, you know, and guys. But yeah, I mean, it's just so amazing that he was just so. You know, I mean, like all of us, you start out doing something, you have an idea, you know, you're arrogant enough when you're young to think that, you know, this could be better if I do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you kind of fall. Because I also know people, stories of people, because I'm, you know, from where he came from, San Jose, which is his home. (laughs) And I'm from San Francisco. So I know the guys who like, yeah. Dumble told me he can fix my amp and it never it never sounded good again. You know, he fucked it up. You know, he owes me an amp. You know, there are the guys who knew who were in bands with him when they were all teenagers, you know. And Dumble said, no, this is really neat, I'll fix it, you know, and it never worked again, right? You know, I mean it's it's a thing that happens to a human being, right? Who's a vision and they just kind of Figure out a new way to do it, and you know there 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 are learning curves with everything, right? Think about us when we were that age playing.
2: I didn't I didn't know that about him then. I just figured he just came out of the box making amps like that, but I'm sure he he must have had a learning curve like that. We all did. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, I I know these guys who just said, yeah, man, I I you know I've always meant to get him to fix that fucking thing he broke, you know. you know, but this was like back in the earliest, early days. And then there was this other friend of mine in San, Santa Cruz, who like, you know, at the time when he, he was fixing amps and he contacted Robin and it was it was obviously the, the, the amp with Robin pretty much made the difference. Right. I mean, to the world in my my knowledge of history. Do you do you know anything different than that?
2: Of, of what that Robin kind of I made. mean
0: the Robin Zamp and him that that relationship really kind of established the Dumble brand.
2: I think it did. I think it did. But then another guy that crept into the well established the Dumble Dumble right. Brand, but then Stevie Ray Vaughan and Eric Johnson right and David Lindley and you know a lot of the other guys and Larry people. Carlton too right. And Larry Carlton too of course yeah yeah and Listen, they have such unique um signature tones of their own right knowing that they got them all out of the same amp right there's another because i just remembered another good story here's one speaking of santa cruz dumbbell told me a story one night about he was he was hanging out with lowell george from little feet great slide guitar player great singer and so this is before foot switches had red LEDs on them to tell when you were in the distortion channel. Right. There was just two buttons on the old Fender amps. Remember? Right. Vibrato or and and reverb. Right. So, Little George asked Dumble, he he was playing a Dumble amplifier. Matter, matter of fact, that's the one he brought me to use. It was the one he made for Little George. And um, Little George said, "Well, can you put a light in this foot switch? Because." I can't tell when I'm in the distortion channel. And Dumble's—this is right out of Dumble's mouth. He said, "Well, what's it, what's the matter? Can't you hear it?" And He goes, "No, I'm so high on most nights I can't even hear the difference." Could you just put a light in? Put a light in there. And that's that's the story of how the lights were put, LEDs were put in foot switches. Whoa,
1: God damn. <laughs> it always comes back to the drugs, man.
2: It does, doesn't it? it
1: comes back it to the drugs.
2: That's such a great story. <laughs> I can remember Dumble had so many stories like that. Well, come
0: on, bring them on, baby. <laughs> well, I can't remember them all. I mean, but Steve, when he
1: when you met him and that, and uh, was he excited? Did you get a sense he was pretty excited about the players that were starting to play his amps, like Robin and Larry and all that stuff? That or was it kind of a little blasé to him? And it was all a you know, what was his sense back then?
2: No, no, he was very he was very excited about to make amps for him. What you would have to do is he would, he would have to take a liking to you and you'd and have to audition, play for him. And so he had, a, he had a liking for you and an appreciation for your sound, for your playing, for your, for your whatever, your artistic, your artistic uh, performances before he would make you an amp. And then he would know what you needed and make it, he knew what you wanted and what your sound wanted to be before you knew it, before I knew.
1: Right.
2: And so the people that were playing his amps weren't just walking in off the street because he would just know you'd have to get you know by special invite go over there and play for him for a couple hours I'm sure you did that yeah yeah and so then he and he he took a liking to you or he didn't and if he took a liking to you then he would make you an amp and no one I I've heard a lot of complaints over the years that you know I don't know why he try, he wait I don't know why he takes three years to build an amp well that's what he took yeah you know he just took, took three years something to some people he, he took. Took him a year and a half to make my speaker cabinets. <laughs> I said, What the hell is taking you so long? And he said, Well, the moon and the humidity and the weather has to be right for me to put the glue on for that. And I said, All right, whatever. Stop there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, my God. Did, did he ever mention to you back then the players that he really admired and, and liked?
2: Yeah, he did. He had, uh, He of course, he loved Robin. Yeah. He loved Robin. As a matter of fact, he he made my he made, he made my amp a lot like Robin's. Yeah. Robin borrowed mine a lot to use for his for his gigs, and um. And uh, he loved Robin. He loved Carlton. But then it wasn't until then. It was this is early in the eighties, so it wasn't it was before really the heavy hitters were playing his amps. I mean, until Scott got one, and that was maybe eighty five, something like that. And then Mike Landau came in and. I'm, I hope I'm talking to guitar players because they might not know who Mike Landau or Scott Henderson or uh, The, the guitar, people on this podcast will know. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I can, I don't have to talk about, you know, like I'm talking to a, a hairdresser. Right. <laughs> you know, um, he was getting excited about the players. I'll tell you one of the, the one he got most excited about, he said, you know, he two stories. I just remembered one of them was, the carpool he had, he had he lived in a gated not a gated community a hurricane fenced in community yeah <laughs> else? and uh this is interesting too he did he, he didn't have an address he he didn't want the government to know his address so his address was latitude and longitude <laughs> <laughs> and the people the, the people at the post office knew he was crazy dumble and knew where he lived and he would just put the mail in his mailbox because he didn't want you know, he was a bit of a conspiracy theorist, but he didn't want the government to know some things. But let's not get into that. But he he um, opened up his gate one day, he told me, and some little guy jumped out of his car. And he went and jumped in Dumble's, like, jumped and put his arms around Dumble and started hugging him. And Dumble goes, what are you doing? He goes, he goes, you've got the sound I want. You've you got, I got the sound I want. you got to make me an amp. you got to make me an amp. And he says it's the perfect sound. I've never heard an amp sound that like good. And he t- looked at it. and It was Stevie Ray Vaughan. Wow. So Stevie Ray Vaughan came to his house, and jumped in his lap and says, "Please make me an amplifier." And that's he had a steel string singer, which was 150 watts of hellish terror. That was loud. And then the other one that he, the other one that he really was really proud of was. He said, "Steve, come here." And I said, "What?" And he goes. I got a phone call from some famous guitar player today. And I said, who? He goes, well, guess. I said, well, okay. Eric Clapton, no. Eddie Van Halen, no. I went through everybody I could think of. He said, nope, nope, nope. And he finally, he presses the, the button on his answering machine where this guy, famous guitar player, left the message. And he goes, Howard, this is Carlos Santana. I'll wash your car. I'll wash your dishes. I'll make your bed, but you got to make me an amplifier. And he was so proud of that that, that Santana called him and wanted him to make him an amplifier. And he was so proud of that phone message. He saved it for everybody to listen to. Wow. That's one, that's one of the most endearing moments I remember because he was, almost had tears in his eyes. He was so proud of that.
0: That's super cool. I
2: don't know what happened to that relationship in the future, but. You yeah, know.
0: well, it, it, it was up and down. But I mean according yeah. to what he told me, but I won't do it right.
2: yeah. yeah it doesn't
0: matter yeah it happens
1: yeah. wow yeah, I actually someone posted that uh, actually it was guitar uh, Carlos's guitar tech posted that story um, I saw on Facebook pretty much verbatim what you said, yeah
2: yeah. Oh, the answering machine story?
1: Yeah I, yeah, I was
2: there. I was at. I heard the answer. And I heard the machine firsthand at his house.
1: That's so cool. Did you know if he? do you know
2: if he ever come across? He
1: ran into Eddie or had anything to do with Eddie Van Halen?
2: I never knew Dumble to have anything to do with Eddie Van Halen. He had a lot to do with the Rolling Stones. Oh you wow! Know, every time the Stones were at the at the Sunset Sound or someplace, he would bring amps over for them to use. Yeah. And he would they would stay have him there. He called himself on his business card. He had uh, Howard Dumble, the tone chaperone. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was his that was his handle. The tone uh, chaperone. Okay. And he would stay Keith Richards would have him stay there and help him dial in sounds for Stones Records. And so that that I know happened. So but I don't remember anything I mean, I don't remember him ever talking about Van Halen. That would have been an interesting
1: yeah yeah right because eddie was such a, a mad scientist himself in a lot of ways so uh, what about jeff beck
2: did you know that's another one i don't think he he might have known jeff beck but i don't know anything that he ever right. he talked about him yeah. Seymour yeah duncan talks about him a lot
1: right man such a, it's such an interesting cat it's almost fitting because um, Bruce tried to get him on Guitar Wank so many times, and we come so close, and obviously he always pulled out last minute. But it's it's almost fitting that we didn't get him. And you know, we're now talking about him now and hearing all these great stories. You know, he definitely lived he lived lived the myth and legend life, right?
2: He really did. I mean, and I feel so privileged to have been able to, to hang out with him and spend so much time with him and get to know him really well. Uh, because he was such a special guy. Yeah. special guy. When I first, Bruce first summoned me, sounded me out to do this, I almost couldn't do it because I thought, I'm not ready to talk about this guy yet. He's too, I'm too close to him. Even though I haven't talked to him for 10 years, but, because he was hot and cold as far as friendship went, but that's just the way people like that are. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, but it it was a, it, it really affected me, still affects me more than I thought it would. I mean, It was like, because it's not like Dumble died. I mean, it's like my buddy died. One of my friends.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it was really, it really hits me hard. And I didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. That was the sad part.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I don't know what happened.
1: Yeah. I I heard
0: was heart attack. Was did you hear anything? I I I heard stroke, but, and I also heard. You know, I mean, and again, this is all fucking conjecture. Um, I also heard he'd been dealing with lead poisoning, which is, um, you know, I mean, God, I mean, you know, I call guys who work on amps solder sniffers. That's my, uh, all my, you know, I I go to these great guys who work. I mean, it's not just Alexander, you know, it's Roy Blankenship in LA, who I think is a genius you know it's yeah, great and and you know but they're they're all eccentric and they all like i mean maybe it's the lead and that solder you know that <laughs> makes them all a little wacky you know and um they all work at night they all you know they it's just all different shit but anyways um i'd heard that he'd been dealing with that you know he'd moved
2: right he but the house santana him the house
0: it moved. And so, um, and so that's a gotta, you know, gotta be a lot of, you mean, all the stuff. You, you were over at the house, right, in Sunland.
2: Yeah. No, no, I was never at the house in Sunland. That was the house that you moved to. Oh, okay. House.
0: So you never saw the second house, the house after that. No. Well, I was over. That's when I hung out with him. And that house was a huge house full of stuff, you know, and it wasn't just like, pack rat it was like speakers and components and chassis and memorabilia and you know you know what i mean it was like it was a house big enough for a you know a huge family full of stuff and that got moved to his next location and you know and i mean and here he is trying to pack out and set up shop and do that and and i heard that you know that that's what he was doing kind of getting set up and reorganizing in his new place up in northern it was like in central california and um, and uh, i got word it was a stroke but heart attack stroke whatever i mean he wasn't young i think it was 70 something
1: 76 apparently
0: 76, and you know, and, and you knew him and I knew him, and he was, I mean, I'm not talking out of, it's just fact, you know, he was not, uh, he was kind of overweight, you know, or big, whatever the word is, and and there aren't a whole lot of people at that age bracket that carry that much weight, you know, that's a, that's a problem, you know, when you get to that age, so. Was he, Steve, when you,
1: when you first met him, was he bigger then like is the uh, uh, like or had he lost weight in the last few years or
2: no don't forget i hadn't seen him for the last probably eight nine ten years of his life right all. i only remember him back then he was huge back then i mean oh yeah. no, no he
0: was smaller
2: right was smaller. Okay. when i last saw him about uh,
0: six months ago seven months ago
2: yeah so he lost weight.
0: And he and he he was smaller than when I first met him, which was smaller than the pictures I've seen, you know.
1: Right.
2: Oh, so he did his lose because he was always he on lost screen. some.
0: Yeah, but he Just was still really big.
1: Might have been also oh, Robin mentioned that he did have a lot of health issues he'd been dealing with for many years. So um yeah, it could have been that too. He was losing the weight, but
0: Oh yeah, and I mean, here's a guy, like as Steve said, you know, he doesn't go out except for at night. You know, I mean, it's not necessarily the what what you'd like put in seeing men's health fitness magazine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that shit was all never ended his mind. He was, he was definitely a one trick pony, as in amps and sound was and playing guitar was his life, right? Like without a doubt, that was his main. Did you see any? He had any other interests, Steve, or was that pretty much it?
2: He loved art. Yeah. He loved paintings. Oh, wow. He loved the art. And the ladies. Well, yeah, I mean...
0: And he spoke German. Did he ever try and speak German or anything with you? Did he ever, like, do he didn't, you
2: down that road he, with you? He didn't try to speak German with me because he'd be talking to a fire hydrant. Right. But, <laughs> but, but what happened was he had... um I think it was Jackson Brown's sister came over and she spoke German. Yeah. Uh, and she, she was... uh they were, they were yammering at each other in German up there
0: in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, I know. He was really, you know, my, because the guy who made that red guitar of mine was German.
2: Right.
0: Oh. And he was very interested in that, and he started speaking a bunch of German to me, assuming that because I had the guitar, I would understand him. And...
2: Yeah.
0: It didn't work out so well, in my case. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, we actually had... I actually had... Um jackson brown's Dumble here for a little bit and i got to play through that for a little bit i think i think the serial number was zero zero one or zero zero two or something it was the overdrive special and um but apparently that was that had been sitting in a closet for a long time too
2: yeah i think that that's what i heard too that he made one for jackson Brown. he also made one for david Lindley. and he mm-hmm. made one for bonnie rate and nobody ever used them except david Lindley used his right yeah. But um, I've seen Bonnie race hers as purple. Oh, hers. wow. And I never saw Jackson Brown's, but I don't think he wound up using it either.
1: No, no. He actually uh, he he gave it to a friend, and it was in his closet. It was a, a session guitar player. Um, but I, I had, when Robin was on the show, I was fortunate enough. I had to go pick up Robin's amp, which I jumped at.
0: You had to pick hey, it I had to pick I, it up. I had to go pick up Robin's I had to go
1: pick it up, you know. But i spent four hours with that amp and just playing it and i think i even recorded some with it and uh yeah it was i mean such an iconic amp it that's got to be priceless that thing i mean damn
2: which one robins yeah now robin had two his. robin has sold one of them he had a white one he sold the white one
1: yeah this is uh, this i guess is has been his main one the whole time or yeah.
2: yeah he had two of them
1: yeah but he uses it less now because it was just so friggin' loud.
2: <laughs> well, that doesn't surprise me because I've—I mean, who hasn't scaled down with amplifiers now? There's no such thing as loud anymore. Yeah,
1: yeah. Where
2: are you gonna play? Where are you gonna play loud anymore? Now you play through. Now you, now you play through um earbuds. Yeah. Any <laughs> In- any ear monitors.
1: Yep. Bruce, did, did he he ever talk to you? Did you guys get into that conversation about volumes and how because you play I mean, sometimes you play loud in the three-piece, but you know, you play lot lower volumes, say than some rock guitarists. So
0: I would, say, I would say the big miscalculation in our in our relationship, my and you played my amp, you know how great it sounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was that I think he assumed that I would not play it as loud as I would. Mm. Ah. So it doesn't necessarily work for me. It works great in the studio when I have control, you know, or maybe on a sound stage where somebody has, you know, they're going to mic it and there's good monitors, which I hate anyway. You know what I mean? But the way I play, he miscalculated my aggressiveness. Hmm. You know so i like i'll play a lot of chords i don't play them loud you know i mean in the context of like a normal rock or country band you know because it's softer than that but i put so much energy through the yeah you do amplifier that i needed more headroom than he allowed for right right i think i think if we if we all got back together and did this again we wouldn't have gone with a Vibra Lux modification. We'd have gone with a Pro Reverb, or maybe yeah. even a Twin Reverb modification. You know, I need I because what I find is just to play normal gig level with my Dumble, it distorts too quickly. Yeah, right. and and whereas whereas a normal guitar player could play twice as loud as me and not almost and stay clean.
2: Right. You just because I
0: play so many chords and I'm so aggressive it breaks up too early for me. Yeah, That's why I'm not using it on my gigs and why I only use it in the studio. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and that's, that was a miscalculation. But obviously because I was sitting in his room, in his living room, playing solo, he never heard me play live with the band.
2: Right.
0: You know, and and, and obviously, you know, he liked my playing, so he said, yeah, I'd like to make you an amp. And and this amp is loved, obviously, by you and Val McCallum. This is a great amp. Oh, you know? it
1: sounds really good, really good. The
0: amount of harmonic awareness this amp has is just unbelievable. That and Steve, did your amp have that? I noticed with Bruce's that it's hard to find
1: a frequency that hurts your ears.
2: Uh, exactly. Yeah, you can even turn the treble up, and it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Right. It was. It was. It's just. It was magic. The the one that hurt my ears is is um, when he built it he built that for he built he built it around the the model that he built for Robin Ford, which has a lot of mid range punch. It's got like a this kind of a thing coming at you. it yeah. So when I'm playing these country pedal steel licks, that really takes your head off. Mm. It just feels like hammers in the side of the ear. So it it was a little too much for me it was just that that mid-range and that's what
0: you you kind of built a scoop into it right well that's what he
2: did he put that mid-range scoop in there for me and and that's that's why i think i got the reputation as being difficult It's safe. Funny. I've known you for a
0: long time, to be honest with you, and I've never known you to be difficult. You know what I mean? I, you know, when he says when he said Carlos, I said, yeah, I I imagine that guy could be difficult. Steve, (laughs) you (laughs) talking about that? The
2: same guy I know, right? Yeah, he just he made his he. He he made an amp for what he thought it should, for what he thought you should sound like. What he what his yeah like, right. And, yeah. Um, and I did, I did play like that. But sometimes I was playing with the country the country gigs, but you know it didn't work. When I played the rock, right. and the jazz, or whatever, it would work fantastic. But I just played too many weird eclectic styles to like make nothing work for everything. Right. Yeah. But it was still it was still a great amp and it's priceless and, and I and I loved it and I loved him, great guy. So, so he was a bikey.
1: He was a what? A bikey. like he had a Harley. You said he had a hog, a chopper.
2: Wow! And he put his amp on his lap and drove the, the chopper out this chopper Drove it on the out the Burbank on the five freeway. Brrr.
0: Oh
1: my god, man! He must have. Um, he must have looked like a like a hell's angel, dude. I mean, being that big on a on a chopper.
2: On a chopper, and he had a and he had a headband on yeah he always had a headband yeah
1: right. oh my god that's awesome that is so cool i never knew the man, man?
2: Huh? He came walking in this bar just burst burst through the door with his amp and the headband and everybody kind of took a breath like whoa what's, what's this
0: <laughs> right, right, he could have been like clint eastwood with the sawed-off shotgun right right it could have
2: been that That's what it looked like yeah because I, I didn't i didn't even know he was coming he's he said don't he just said, "I'm coming out there to fix it." I didn't know he was going to bring another ramp.
1: <laughs> wow, man, that's that's pretty cool. Well, it sounds like you guys were really tight, man. I'm sorry for your loss because it was obviously a good buddy, man. And uh, but what what great stories and just <laughs> back then, I mean, that's when it was all all happening around that time with like you and Henderson and Carlton and did
2: did Lukather ever get one? No, at this Always what was played. He, he plays with Paul Rivera amps. He still uses those.
1: Right. So he, right. Never, he never did the Dumble route.
2: No, he never went that way. Yeah. He never went that way.
1: But Mike, Landau did, right? Landau.
2: Yeah, Dumble had a lot of modifications. He 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 modified one of Scott. had Scott had a 65 Bandmaster. Right. That he modified. After he modified my 65 Pro Reverb. And then landau liked scott's bandmaster and so he did another one for mike landau that mirrored scott's bandmaster so he had two bandmasters and then a pro reverb that i know he modded that were not his own builds, but he modded them and they sounded fantastic
0: wow uh, now that's the one that's the one i should have had instead of a vibroblocks you know in hindsight
1: you know but you'd never carry that around right that's too
0: no no i would sit in the just like just like the one i've got does you know goes to the studio and leaves you know
1: yeah yeah but didn't you uh, didn't you say bruce that val mccallum had um his one and he
0: swapped with landell i mean i we will let scott tell tell i mean we'll let val tell this the story this story but According to what I believe, is Valve had a bandmaster or a bassman, one of those, ahead, head, and loved it, but it was too loud for what he was doing all the time. And Landau had a Deluxe, a Dumble Deluxe mod that he loved, except for it was not loud enough for everything he was doing. So Val and Landau just traded, ah, it, you know, just because like, hey, you want something louder, I want something softer, and that was like thirty years ago, and they're still traded. That's oh. what I—that's what I've been led to believe. We'll let Val clarify, yeah, but I'm, I'm fairly certain I've got that correct.
2: Now you can you can you can educate me. I don't even know who this Val McCallum is. Oh, Val McCallum plays with Jackson
0: Brown. He's his uh, lead guitar player, been that for 20 years, uh, I, I think. Uh, played with Bonnie Raitt. Uh, he played with Wilson Phillips, too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. He's yeah,
2: good. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, I knew him when he played with Bonnie Raitt. Big, I mean, big, tall guy. Really tall, skinny guy. He's really good.
1: Yeah, really Val's, good. Val's yeah. a badass. Yeah.
2: Yeah, now, now, now it's coming back to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Damn, man. So, Steve, you're doing um, lots of lessons at home nowadays.
2: It's Well, there's not too many gigs. I mean, for, for what I do, there's not too many gigs. I've been doing a lot of solo solo jazz gigs, but they're just like dinners for re- re- restaurants and things like that. Right. So, and I'm not the best in the world at it, like, like Bruce here is, so, but I still have fun doing it. But as far as playing with bands, there's just not that many not that many places open. Right. And um, I just decided, you know what? I just want to go in the studio and do another record, which is what I've really been putting my energies into. I've I've demoed most of it out of my studio here. I got to go in a real studio and, re- and finish it up, though. That, let's put the finishing touches on
1: it. Nice, man.
2: So yeah, I'm keeping really busy, and I got a lot of students that more more actually stu- more more. More work, actually playing on other people's projects, Pro- producing and producing and playing on singer songwriter projects.
1: Wow! Oh, it sounds it like keeping you
2: busy. Yeah, really busy.
0: That's awesome. Why, why not, man? You you know you're such a badass, and you have so much to offer. You know, I mean, I'm glad that I'm glad that you know. I mean, we're all trying to refig- we're all trying to figure out where we belong in this COVID world. You know, we lived in a world of gigs and recording sessions and hanging with each other and that's the way everything worked and then all of a sudden like almost two years ago it stopped it stopped we're all trying to figure out how the next way we work through the world is right you know and obviously playing solo like you're doing and like i'm doing makes a lot of sense because we're by ourselves all the time so that, that that's a smart musical thing but nonetheless like using technology to be on people's projects and help produce them and making a new record and you know when you know that everybody you know is in the same place as you you know their gigs are getting canceled everywhere you know what i mean so to take advantage of this time when we don't have all that other stuff going on to produce stuff so hopefully when it opens up you know we can look back and say well at least we were busy and we set the we, we lay the seeds for the next you know thing to happen
2: right well I, I'm not necessarily counting on that it ever will open up the way it ever was <laughs> yeah out. no no yeah so I'm kind of playing um, uh, alternative endings Ah,
0: okay. Well, that's an interesting concept.
2: Well, you know, I got. I've I've always been. I've always been the guy to keep a lot of irons in the fire. Because if something, if something, income stream from one thing stops, I I lean on something else. I go do another book for True Fire, or I'll I'll do something for somebody, and I'll do something in a magazine. Or now, my latest thing is I do something for someone on a recording or or a demo which is which is fun and
1: are you doing a lot of private lessons steve
2: yeah i am i'm doing too many of those i, just, I mean don't, don't get me wrong i get the i get the best private lesson gig in the world at the where i teach i mean i'm getting we're getting we're doing really well for ourselves in a, yep. in a world where a lot of people would love to have that job so i will never complain about the job at usc it's 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 it's, it's my favorite but where it gets to be dense is when I have so many other ones outside of there that want to take lessons, and I'm too greedy not to take the money.
1: Right. <laughs> well, if, if any of our listeners don't know, and you should you <laughs> Google Steve's name ASAP. I, I mean no, 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 – I'll No,
0: just go to greedy.com. You'll find us.
1: Steve, I've had – I think I've had – I've got two of your videos here, and I had a bunch of your books before I even left Australia. I discovered you and i've always been a massive fan and you're one of my favorite teachers at mi when you were there you were just always fantastic mate and i love you playing you just you're a badass man
2: well thank you thank you thank you that makes me feel good
1: and you're a great teacher and a lot of fun too and i the best thing i love you playing and i think i said it last time was the always maybe super happy was the the cartoon theme that you would do Oh,
2: um, what was I,
1: that oh that um damn what is it Bugs Bunny and all that that that's all folks and man oh, so played. fucking great just always that put every,
2: a, yeah I played at the end, the end of every class right
1: yeah that was fantastic always put a massive smile on my face you you kick that kick that in the ass so uh, yeah I love what you do man you're, you're, you're a favorite
2: well thanks it makes me feel good because to tell you that to be straight up it's been this is this this COVID thing has taken its toll on me Taking a soul on me it's made me take it's made me slow down a step yeah made me feel just a little bit heavier about things and just a little bit I think it's a collective thing I don't think it's just me yeah for but, sure I mean, I don't feel as light as and, and, and light as a feather and just kind of let's just skip along here like I used to feel I feel a lot of things are more I don't know just it's heavy heavy shit it feels heavy life just feels heavier
1: yeah and I'm
2: glad you told me that
1: because that makes me feel like the old days. Yeah, I mean, well, don't please don't stop, man, because your tuition, your videos, and your the way you teach has always been super fun. And you're a monster player. And uh yeah, it, I love what you do. Keep
0: oh well doing thank it. You, No, I am not and, and thank you for for sharing uh, you know being so <laughs> generous with your your memories of Alexander and or Howard or whatever Dumble. And um and helping us kind of leave a legacy for the world beyond this soup Nazi ass bullshit that the magazines put up,
2: you know? Well the stuff you you were there, I was there, you know, this isn't the magazine stuff, this is the real stuff. Right. This is this is what really happened. Right. And uh, I particularly like the story that when Lowell George told him to put the red LED on the foot switch because he couldn't <laughs> <pull> it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> That's why I tell it.
2: <laughs> That's so brilliant.
0: Well, thank you, Steve, and I'll see you back at school when they let us back in.
2: When they, they haven't said anything yet, but we'll see you when we, when they let us back in. Yeah.
0: Steve, that- where do people find you?
1: Is it just stevejovado Where do we go? Well, I'm.
2: Oh yeah, I'm easily easily reach reach these days. It's Steve at stevedravado.net yep Steve net okay. steve travato music no stevedravado.net
0: yep that's my website okay great
1: stevedravado.net man oh it's such a pleasure i i can't wait for the day we can have you back in the studio here we can all get together again because that was some serious fun that was good laughs i cool. i enjoyed that
0: and we'll tell scott what he missed
2: oh okay I'm he'll probably tell you what you meant, what we missed. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm worried about that. <laughs> All right. So I'll see you guys later then. Good night. Bye. Thank Thanks. you, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Thank, uh, thank you, guys. All right. Thanks for having me. Bye.